That's philosophy. Is that a sport? Uh, no, it's more of an attempt to uh, construct a viable hypothesis to uh, explain the meaning of life. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Would you like to talk about the meaning of life, darling? Sure, why not? Philosophy for two? Right. another episode of the philosophy guide podcast so before we get into today's episode which is about the recent film uh, mission impossible fallout um, it's the latest installment into the the mission impossible series that has been running for over 20 years now but we're going to discuss a little bit of philosophy in that but before that uh, some kind of i just want to say thank you to the support i've had so far for the podcast i really appreciate it and, you know, if you're kind of wondering how to help support the show and kind of keep it going and kind of basically allow me to spend more time on this and, you know, spend more research and all that good stuff to kind of get content out quicker and all that, um, a way to do that is, you know, first of all, just like, subscribe, review, share. Sharing is huge, kind of helps spread the word about the podcast. But if you want to help me in other ways as well, obviously I'm not <laughs> I'm not forcing you to, but uh, yeah, this does anything kind of helps. But using the Amazon affiliate link I have in below, basically if you buy anything um, through that link, I kind of get a little bit of commission from that. So that's one way. And another way is my Patreon, which I've included bonus goodies there. And you can use the link below to get to that. But basically, you know, let's say a dollar support. With a dollar support, you get access to the Discord group. Of course, with all of these, you do get my undying gratitude. <laughs> so, you know, you basically, like I said, you help me spend, allow me basically to spend more time on the podcast. So I appreciate anything like that. That is means the world to me. And, you know, you also, with the $1 uh, level, you get full episodes and Patreon posts. And then also with the $5 tier, you know, you get all that previous stuff, but you also get a podcast shout out and my bonus episode feed, which in the next coming days, I'll be adding another bonus episode to that. And with the bonus episodes, they're going to be a mix of, you know, typical content that I have on the standard feed that you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. But with that bonus feed, I'm also going to start doing some kind of um, actual like philosophy episodes that are kind of raising, you know, interesting questions in philosophy, like such as is morality objective, things like that. Those are the questions will be raised and those will be in my bonus episode feed only for $5 Patreons. And then, of course, you get the, the typical previous tier stuff as well. And then I'll go through one other one is my $10 Patreon. And that's where you get a podcast shout out, but you also get listed on my website as a show sponsor. And this is for also anyone that wants to kind of link to the work they're doing. But also, you know, I know I have philosophers that listen to this podcast. I want to be able to help spread philosophy. And a way to do that is, I think, to kind of allow them to not only sponsor the show and help the show out, but also kind of link to their work and kind of help spread philosophy and stuff they're doing as well. So... With that as well, you get, of course, the the previous tier rewards as well and uh, question submissions for the Q&A some, uh, episodes as well. Um, and then my last little announcement is one other thing I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start doing some paid reviews. It's another way, like I said, for people to kind of not only get their name out and kind of use the audience that I've kind of grown here, but it's uh, paid reviews where basically, you know, I'll review a philosophy book article or podcast that you do or the creator does 
so basically I want it to be if you're you're basically if you're a person that's supplying philosophical content to the community, uh, just reach out to me and kind of ask me more questions about that. And you can reach me at the the email that below, but it's the philosophy guy at gmail.com. But let's uh let's get this boring stuff out of the way here and let's get on with the show. So Mission Impossible Fallout is it's another great addition to the Action Hero series starring Tom Cruise, who's back at it again here. And Fallout is back with not only Tom Cruise, but director Christopher McCreary. Uh, McCreary? I think it's McCreary. Sorry if I pronounced that name wrong. But So he also made Rogue Nation, which was also another great film in the series. But uh, see, so this is a series that has managed to get better and better. And this film is no different with that regard. I think it's actually the best one in the series yet. So you might be wondering, how how does an action movie have philosophy in it? You know, when, <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of get more into that, but mainly it raises an interesting philosophical kind of utilitarian question. And that question is, should you kill one to save many? It's that type of situation. You know, many war, action, spy type movies, they, they like to raise this question because it's, it's a plot point that raises intensity for a film but I picked Fallout as the focal point for this question because, for one, it's it's a very recent film. I know it's going to be coming out in digital pretty quickly here, if not already. But mainly, it's, it's a very, very well-made film. So probably, I'd say it's probably the best in 2018 or one of the best in the past decade regarding an action film style. So the philosophical question I mentioned also kind of plays as a main plot point throughout the film. But anyway, let's let's kind of get into exposition before we kind of dive more deeply into that. So Tom Cruise is back in action as Ethan Hunt. And Ethan Hunt is a character that has kind of turned himself into kind of like a modern day, non-womanizing version of James Bond. Uh, and Tom Cruise is is the is a divisive actor in some ways, mainly because of his involvement with Scientology, which has been exo- exposed as rather, it's a rather dangerous cult-like organization that's done some very sketchy things, and and it's also kind of like a bullshit religion. But <laughs> setting that aside, you have to admit that Tom Cruise knows how to act. He's a charismatic guy that, that he does his own stunts at 56 years old. He's, he's doing stuff that I can't even imagine doing, and I'm in my 20s. So this makes for some amazing action scenes because you can actually see the, the visual expressions of Tom Cruise as he's experiencing doing these crazy action scenes. So skydiving, hanging from a helicopter, jumping from building to building, the film crew did amazing work in this film. And they even had to delay filming because Tom Cruise broke his ankle jumping from building to building. So they also kept that take in the film. So as he was doing his own action sequences, he jumped from a building, broke his ankle, then got up and limped ahead. And they kept that in the film. Uh, and you can you can go see it, basically. And uh, never breaking character when he was doing it. And I mentioned this dude, he's 56 years old and he's still doing his own stunts and crazy action scenes. It's, it's, it's really impressive and you have to admit it's impressive no matter what. So basically what we have here, two years after Ethan Hunt had successfully captured Solomon Lane, who's kind of like the villain in the film, he's 
basically a terrorist like anarchist trying to restart the world he it's a it's a violent revolution type dude but yeah he's he's back as the the kind of of the remnants of the syndicate which was in the previous films or previous two films i think and have they've reformed into a kind of like another organization called the apostles and basically it's a group of terrorists trying to kind of reset the world again and um so Solomon, he kind of has it out for Ethan for some reason, uh, but the organization is planning on acquiring three uh, plutonium cores to make some very large explosions and kill innocent people. So Ethan and his team, featuring uh, Simon Pegg back at it again, and Ving Rams and Rebecca Ferguson, they're back in action on the Mission Impossible team. They're sent to Berlin to intercept them, but the mission fails when Ethan saves Luther and the Apostles' escape with the plutonium. So with a new CIA agent, Agent Walker, played by uh, Henry Cavill, uh, he's joining the team in this film, and spoiler, uh, this mofo happens to be an Apostle as well, so surprise, surprise, Ethan and his allies must now find the plutonium cores before it's too late, and you know... Action sequence, typical Mission Impossible film goes where basically Ethan and his team are playing catch up. So the thing I want to focus on is the division, uh, division decision in the film that I kind of just mentioned before that kind of gets the ball rolling for the entire film. The choice by Ethan to save his friend instead of catch, capturing and keeping the plutonium. So the, this idea of, of one versus many kind of problems are it's a standard philosophical discussion it's not only dealing with the the psychological experiments but determining the moral attitudes of people so in your standard kind of philosophy class you probably will encounter debates on the decision to you know bomb hiroshima and uh, nagasaki these discussions raise many questions and on the one hand, we have to consider the utilitarian calculations about how many lives actually were saved, and then, on the other hand, objections to you know actual ac- actions in war that harm innocents along with analysis of whether citizens of an aggressor nation are truly ever innocent, which I think it, they obviously are. I mean, I don't know about you, but are you going to say it's it's all of your fault for the United States, or even, I would even say partially, would you even say it's partially your fault for the United States Army deciding to bomb children in the Middle East? You know, I'm sure as hell not going to take fault for the decisions of the country I live in doing things like that. See, Ethan's decision raises questions about utilitarianism, consequentialist type decisions, and just war theory in general. But this question raised in the film and a question you should ask yourself about war theory in our foreign policy is to explore how far you would go in harming an individual and what beneficial ends justify the harm. See, Ethan's little conundrum is also aligned with the trolley problem. So, you know, with the trolley hurling down the track, do you choose to kill one to save, you know, multiple lives? Obviously, it's usually like saving five lives and killing one. But you can kind of put whatever number you want in there. It's for the thought experiment. So are you willing to put that blood on your hands making that choice? But follow kind of adds some 
some spice to the, these questions, a little bit of a wrench in your thinking. See, you should be the person who simply, or, or sorry, should you be the person who simply saves his friends because that is what he does? Or are you the person who thinks first about the millions, whether for the best or the worst of motives? It's so like, what kind of character would you have if you were the one or the other? How is being friends change the outcome of your choice? And should it change the outcome? Does this stem from virtues of being trustworthy and loyal? So the way you think about these questions and what the right decision is for Ethan, it it demonstrates your type of moral thinking. Are you a sort of consequentialist thinker or a non-consequentialist thinker? So from the film, we kind of know that Ethan Hunt, he doesn't think about whether he's a consequentialist or not. And what he should do if he if he were in that situation. He's, his, his thinking is sort of kind of intuitively what he sees as the right thing to do in that moment. He acts in his character and deals with the aftermath later. So in this case, saving his friend and dealing with the aftermath by playing catch-up to save the lives of thousands or millions. So in what sense must we must kind of find out if the team will defuse the bomb in time? Or what if Hunt fails? bringing him and his team to this tragic end because he chose to save his friend. But the reasons I like this example is it adds some much-needed flavor to the trolley problem. As we know, decisions in life are not so black and white as the trolley problem presents. Instead, they're, they're kind of gray. So here you have Ethan faced with the risk of losing three plutonium cores large enough to make bombs that could kill off millions of people. So sure, it would be a you know, sort of altruist act in a way for Ethan to save millions by sacrificing his friend and then having to deal with the pain of sacrificing his friend. But a kind of nice kind of little, little glitch here. We have to consider this one situation doesn't end all the trolley-like problems Ethan is bound to face. So even if they keep the plutonium and sacrifice his team member, the game is still afoot. It's, you know, lives are still at risk. So keeping this talented team together that has saved millions before could be important for saving millions of more lives later. So even after this one event, he has to take into account the future events. So my point being, even when the decision or the choice seems obvious, there's always another choice to consider. Ethan chose to follow his character and virtue, knowing that the game would play on. The decision was about playing the odds. The right and wrong answer was not so obvious. It asked the question, should you be a numbers guy when it comes to life? The film makes a nice kind of contrast. On the one hand, Ethan can't even imagine sacrificing his former wife or friend to to save X amount of people. But the contrast presents the opposite side on this ethical ethical discussion with Agent Walker, who happens to be the enemy in this case. But he wouldn't blink an eye at the idea of having to kill a dozen police officers to to make off with a dangerous terrorist in the in the, in the case in Solomon in the film. But Ethan, when faced with that decision, had visions, terrified of even being put in the situation of having to kill an innocent civilian to go along with his plan. See, for Ethan, he must keep his virtues intact, intact, 
and re-examine his plan from that point. Because a briefcase of plutonium is something he can, he can get back. A life is something he cannot. So the film essentially puts forward the view that there may not be a right answer to the trolley problem in general. But I'll leave you with one question to ponder. Let's imagine the film didn't have the happy ending of Ethan saving his crew. Innocent people and his ex-wife he's still in love with. Does Ethan keep acting this way because he keeps succeeding? Would he change his virtues if the team and innocent people were wiped out because of his decision at the beginning of the film? It's kind of some questions that uh, I think are kind of interesting to raise based on this film. And it's a film that you wouldn't think kind of presents these philosophical ideas. But I think, it, it, you know, as a kind of a quicker episode, it did raise some interesting questions. But anyway, I'd like to say thanks for listening and uh, thanks for your support. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and I'll uh, talk to you next time. Peace.